I'm so glad each of you are here today. If I sound a little hoarse, it's only because I am. Um, not sure exactly what's going on, but um, I wasn't going to let the devil win this morning. I feel like I have a, a word from the Lord for someone this morning. I want to read this morning our scripture text, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. We're going to read from the New Living Translation, Philippians 3, 4 through 6. I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. This is Paul speaking. He said, I, if anyone could have confidence, it would be me. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted, for the, persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. That passage of Scripture is Paul's resume before he came to Christ. And in the eyes of most people, and by the standards of the world, we would say he was very successful. But the truth is this. It really translated to Paul saying, I was a pretty big deal when it came to following rules. In fact, I was faultless when it came to legalism. Paul made it clear that before he came to Christ, he pridefully regarded his Jewish heritage and his religious zeal as a tremendous advantage. But then all of that changed because he goes on in the following verses to say that since he had come to Christ, he realized that all the things that he and others had looked upon as important really weren't important at all. In fact, now, compared to what Christ had done in his life, those things did not matter at all. Let's keep reading. We're going to read verses 7 through 11. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him, and no longer count on my own righteousness through, through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteousness through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. It seems that after Paul's encounter with Jesus, all the things that he once counted in his favor, the things that at one time he would have bragged about, these things were no longer advantages. But instead, he now considered them to be worthless, and here's why. I believe Paul knew that the same legalistic mentality that had kept him from knowing Christ, if he allowed it to, it would also keep him from maturing in his faith. So it was time to let those things go. Let them go and move on. 
Paul went as far to say that he counted all of his past achievements, all the things that at one time in his life made him feel important, he counted all of those things as garbage. There's several different translations, and you can go read those if you want. None of them are good. He didn't stop there, though, because now that Christ meant so much to him, he looked with disgust at anything that might be keeping him from reaching the place in Christ where he longed to be. Paul realized that any righteousness that came from following the laws of the Pharisees, any appearance of righteousness apart from what came through faith in Jesus Christ is really nothing more than self-righteousness. And again, he counted that self-righteousness as garbage. You see, Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, speaking of Jesus. He said, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It is only in Jesus Christ that we can have salvation and become the righteousness of God. There is nothing that we can do on our own to be righteous. Paul was in effect saying that all the things, past power, past prestige, past position, all of those things didn't really matter anymore because whatever level of success that he had attained personally, socially, politically, or religiously, he now left them all behind in order to press on toward the things that did matter. And the only righteousness that mattered to him was what came from God through Jesus Christ. Once we come to Christ, we need no longer to be controlled, influenced, or shaped by the past. And I say that whether your past is good or bad, whether you had accomplishments in your past or total failures in your past, we don't need to be shaped by our past. We don't need to be preoccupied with attaining accolades of men or, or what is referred to in the Bibles in a couple places as earthly glory. We don't need to be concerned about whether or not someone thinks we're important. We don't need to put too much self-centered importance in our accomplishments, whether they're past or present. And if these things define us, and determine who we are and what we are now that we've come to Christ, we need to go back and check our grace. Because all of those things will not bring about righteousness. Don't get me wrong. There is nothing wrong with accomplishing things in life. We should all try to attain our goals. Because we, but we need to stop looking at those things as if they determine our personal value and worth. And none of those things, whether good or bad, can make us righteous in the sight of God. Those of you who know me know that I am very much in favor of continued education. I am very much in favor of attaining various marks of achievement. But how do we view those things? And be honest, do these things in and of ourselves give us a sense of importance and value? Because we can say, well, I did this, or I used to do this, or I can do this, or I have done this, or I won this. Do those things give us our importance? Do they call us, cause us to feel distinguished when compared to the general masses? And there is nothing wrong with accomplishments in life. But we need to make sure that we do it without becoming self-centered because Christ has to be the center of our lives, not ourselves. 
In fact, I think it's great when people go out and accomplish things. It means that they put effort into it because we can only accomplish things by putting effort into it. And I believe that's a great thing. But we have to realize that no matter what we accomplish in this life, if we refer to it the way that Paul said, when it's all said and done, all of those things that we can accomplish here are worth no more than garbage. We must come to the place where Christ is the focus of our lives, not ourselves. We must come to the place in our lives where we realize that our past successes or failures do not define us going forward. In spite of his education, in spite of his power as a Pharisee, and even his regret over his, his overzealous persecution of the church, Paul made it clear that his desire was to know Christ, not just learn facts about him, but to have a personal relationship with him. Those words in Philippians 3.10 that Paul chose when he said he wanted to know Christ means to have a personal acquaintance or experience. There are a lot of people today who know a lot about Jesus Christ, but they don't know him. They know a lot of Scripture, but they don't know the person in the Scripture. Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know him personally. Paul knew that in order to really know Christ meant to know him in his suffering as well as his glory. We like the glory part, not so much the suffering part. To know Christ in the good times and to know him in the difficult times. Look what Paul said in some other writings. Romans eight seventeen. he said this, And since we are children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory... We must also share in his suffering. 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul wrote, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, it's then I am strong. You see, God is still God in difficult times. Difficult times do not change him. In fact, he is often, it is often in those difficult times that we see how great God really is. When we come to the end of our own abilities, then sometimes we finally look to God and say, I can't do this anymore. I am weak. And then we realize who God really is. And it is then that we can realize, as Paul did, that when we are weak in ourselves, when we come to the end of our strength, that God will give us strength to go on. And it is then that we can say, I am strong. We can say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So let me ask you a serious question this morning. Are you dissatisfied with your present spiritual condition? You don't have to answer out loud. Are you dissatisfied with your present spiritual condition? If you answered yes to that, let me tell you, it's okay. Because there is really nothing wrong with feeling that way. We should want more holiness. We should want more righteousness. We should want more godliness, more wisdom, etc. So dissatisfaction with where we are can sometimes be translated into determination to go forward. 
So if being dissatisfied with where you are in your spiritual walk causes you to get more determination to go forward and live for God like never before, then I'm okay with that as long as you do that. I don't think we should ever get satisfied. They sang a song a while ago that said, draw me closer to you, closer to you. From where I am, draw me closer to you. That means no matter where we are in our walk, we can always get a little bit closer. I believe Paul understood that when he wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've always reached, already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Jesus Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. And what is the prize to be gained in reaching the goal? It's Jesus Christ himself. There's certainly a way in which we are to press on. There are certain things that that are necessary if we are to press on effectively and successfully. Paul was saying in verses 12 through 14, I have not reached the spiritual goal. I have not yet got to that place of moral perfection. I have not yet gained Christ and his fullness, but I focus on this one thing. One thing. Just one thing. It doesn't seem very complicated, does it? He reduces all that is required to successfully reach our spiritual goal to one thing. It's a simple game plan, one that is very easily executed. He says one thing, not 13, not 27, not 63. One thing I do, I focus on one thing. And you would think anybody should be able to, to commit to one thing because it can be so plainly and clearly understood. This one thing consists of two aspects. This is what Paul said. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. In short, was Paul, Paul was saying, I have to stop looking in the rearview mirror and move forward. And there's a lot of folks today that need to stop looking in the rearview mirror and go forward. What we have here is not just a suggestion of what is required to press on. It is more what is necessary in order to press on. So the question is this, how are we to press on or move forward in our walk with Christ? Let's look a little bit more closely at what Paul said that he did. The first thing that Paul said was to forget the past. Paul wasn't living for Christ for an earthly reward. What Paul was doing was striving to be ready for Christ's second coming. We should be, we should be doing the exact same thing. Paul spoke of salvation as a prize to be won, much like that of a runner in the Olympics. In order to win, we cannot quit. We have to go forward. We might go slow. We might have to rest a bit, but we keep going forward and placing that prize of salvation as the most important thing in our lives. One thing. One thing. The only way to win a race is to look forward. If you don't believe me, 
try running a race with someone, you let them look forward, and you turn around and run backwards and see how that works out for you. We only have an opportunity to attain the prize of salvation if we forget what is behind us and simply pursue the goal. Once you are saved, stop looking at the past. Stop looking at the person you used to be because if you are truly saved, your sins are forgiven and you are no longer that person. So stop looking back at them. Paul's message was to strive to go forward, to becoming more Christ-like while at the same time forgetting the things of the past. In other words, if you're going to press on, then you have to forget what you left behind. And someone's saying, well, I'm not much of a runner. I'm not either. So this is not really getting through to me. Well, let's put it this way. As you drive through life, that easier? As you drive through life, If you want to keep going in the right direction, then stop looking in the rearview mirror. And I think Paul would have said, reach up, yank that rearview mirror off, put the car in drive, floor it, and go forward. Stop looking in the rearview mirror because there is nothing back there except where you came from. And this doesn't mean clearing our memory. But instead, making a conscious effort to not let past successes or failures stop our progress towards the prize. To be, to be preoccupied with the past can cause distractions, distractions that would cause us not to be able to press forward as we should and ultimately not to finish the race. Some, in fact, there are probably a lot of Christians who are still living in the past If that is you, then you know the heartache, the struggle, and the pain that this is causing you. Too many people are still trapped in the past. They are overwhelmed or troubled with things that have happened in their life sometime in the past. And because of that, they remain in bondage. But you don't have to stay in bondage. It is time to go forward. It is time to leave the past in the past. You cannot change the past, but you can change the future as you face it each day. Maybe you're thinking that you really want to go forward in your walk with Christ. You really want to grow and develop. You want to mature, but something is holding you back, and it is the past because you're still living in it. The instructions that we have read from the Bible today tell us that if we are to press toward the goal, we have to forget the past. There comes a time when you must break with the past. There comes a time when you have to forget it. If there are people who need to be forgiven, forgive them. Don't hold on to that anger. Don't hold on to that hatred. Don't hold on to that resentment because as long as you hold on to that, you're holding on to the past. Let it go. It's time to let go so you can move forward. There are many people who possibly grew up in a rather cold environment. Maybe it was a home where there was little or no love that was shown or affection shown. Maybe it was a home where all you got was criticism 
judgment, or even abuse. And many people who come from those situations carry those feelings into their adult lives. In fact, I would say most do. And often as Christians, they're just not able to move forward. They continue to deal with the pain and hurt of past years, not able to be reconciled with the past, not able to give it up or leave it behind. It seems that they cannot escape those feelings. But you cannot press on unhindered unless you forget those things that lie behind. You say, well, I just can't forget. It was too horrible. I get that. And I'm going to say something that doesn't sound very spiritual, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you are dealing with things from your past and you truly have prayed and said, God, I need you to help me let go of my past, and those things are just overwhelming you, and you feel like you need to go and talk to somebody about that, somebody who is a trained professional that can help you work your way through that as you pray, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I would urge you to do that. I believe God has placed those type of people, counselors, psychologists, Christian psychologists, or whomever you would go to, place those in our lives to sit down and talk so we can work through some of these things. Because it's not always just as easy as saying, I'm just going to forget about it. It's not. But I can tell you this, there have been a lot of people who have been delivered from their past, from horrible abuses, from horrible experiences. And God is able to do that. Paul appealed to his readers to join his goal-oriented approach to the Christian life. Even those who are mature Christians need to make sure that they don't become satisfied with their Christian walk and maturity. And as a result, they stop moving forward. I've lived for God for 37 years. Good. How much have you grown? Some people have lived for God for 37 years, but they've just lived one year 37 times over. They haven't grown 37 years. We need to never be satisfied with where we are. We need to never stop. We need to constantly be pushing forward to the place where God is calling us to be. Wherever you are in your walk with Christ today, keep moving forward. Letting go of the past means forgetting past lifestyles and practices. We must not only forget our past accomplishments, achievements, like Paul was talking about, we also need to forget about past lifestyles and practices, those things that were marked by worldliness. Once we become a Christian, there should be a very clear distinction between the morals and habits and activities which characterized our lifestyles and practices before coming to Christ. In short, there should be a difference in who we are versus who we were. There should be a difference in the things we did before we came to Christ and those things that characterize our life after becoming a Christian. 
If you do an inventory of your life and you see that there is no real moral difference now versus before you were saved, then I would suggest you take a long, hard look at your life in order to determine if there's any grace in you or whether everything that you've done has been an attempt to change the outside without there being any real change on the inside. Oh, you can do that. I've known people that gave up all kinds of stuff. They gave up, they gave up all the drinking and the partying and the running around and all the things they used to do. If you want to badly enough, people do it all the time. But if nothing changes in here, it's just self-righteousness. Because the only righteousness that comes inside of us is what we get through Jesus Christ. And those things will not save you. Just leaving the things of the world behind are not enough. We have to go forward in Jesus Christ. If the old habits and practices are still evident, we need to examine ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5.17, a scripture we quote quite often. It says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. Christ has given us his spirit to overcome our past lifestyles and practices. But let me ask you today, do you really believe that? Do you believe that you became a new creation in Christ when you became a Christian? I will tell you that the Holy Spirit living in you will make you different than you were before you were saved. Not just on the outside. It will do that too. But it will change who you are on the inside. And I will tell you I would prefer to see somebody get changed on the inside and let the Holy Spirit change the outside than to just try to fix the outside without doing something about what's in here. You see, that's what Jesus talked about the Pharisees, and he called them whited sepulchers, that they looked all shiny and good on the outside, but inside, he said, you're full of dead men's bones. There's nothing inside of you. And there's too many people, I believe, in the world today who are trying to live like that. They said, yeah, but I gave up this and I gave up this and I quit doing this and I quit doing that. And those are great. But if nothing is changed in here, then we're just Pharisees, of which Paul was one that he mentioned in his resume. Either God's Spirit living in you can overcome your past lifestyles and practices, or he cannot. And I will tell you that if you will yield to the Holy Spirit, you can overcome your past and your past lifestyles and practices. Letting go of the past also, remains, also means forgetting past sins. That's a hard thing for a lot of folks. We must not only forget our past lifestyles and practices, we have to forget about the sins that we committed before we came to Christ. There are people who are seriously haunted by their past sins after they are saved. Some of you know what I'm talking about. 
sins that you committed before you became a Christian or failures or sins that maybe since you became a Christian, those sins, those are things that Satan will continue to mercilessly use to discourage you. He will continue to make use those things to make you feel guilty and ashamed. He will use those things to drive you to condemn yourself, to make you question your own salvation, to make you feel utterly unworthy of Christ. And it comes from the devil. If your sins are forgiven, they're forgiven. And be assured, when the devil comes to you and tries to bring your past sins up before you, that is not of God. That is straight from the devil. If you have repented of your sins, then be assured by the word of God, God doesn't remember your sins against you any longer. So if you're hearing that in your mind, if you're hearing that in your head, if you're being bombarded by reminders of your past sins, you can be assured that they did not come from God. Forget about those sins. Because Christ's blood has atoned for them, and you were freed from that sin when you came to Christ. When you came to Christ in sincere repentance, those sins were gone. Many Christians have and are being tortured by the devil and by their own sensitive conscience because they have not allowed themselves to forget their past sins because they feel their sins have been far more horrible than anybody else's sin. Well, you just don't know what I've done, Pastor. It doesn't matter. Sin is sin. And God forgives all of them. If God can forgive you of your sins, you can forgive yourself. Maybe you've slipped spiritually or you've, you've moral, had a moral failure and you've even wished that you were dead because you, I just can't seem to get my life straight. Perhaps the pain of such failure and disgrace has left you feeling hopeless, having lost the sense of acceptance with God in personal self-respect. I know today that someone is hearing this message and feeling the weight of what I'm saying. You know the sin for which you have asked God to forgive you, and yet you're still not able to feel his forgiveness, even though we know that John, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. That is as much a promise of the word of God as anything else we would read. And that is if we come to him, he will cleanse us of our sin. He will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The fact is this, if you are still being haunted by past sins, then you are more affected by your own feelings than you are by God's truth because his truth doesn't change. The problem is not that God remembers your sins that you have repented of. The real problem is that you can't forget. And again, God's word is either true or it's not. If we have in Jesus Christ a provision made for forgiveness of our sins, then that provision covers all of our sins. 
Not just certain ones, it covers all of our sins. If we confess our sins with a true spirit of brokenness and sorrow, then God's word assures us that God will forgive us our sins. Regardless of the sin, God forgives. There are many good Christians and even some good Christian leaders who have had a moment of weakness or blindness, and even though they've repented of it, they continue to whip themselves emotionally. And I will tell you, all this is is a form of self-induced penance. It's no different than the people in their, in their customs in, in certain countries where they, they take these whips and they, at certain times of the year, they walk down the street and they beat these whips on their back until their backs are bloody to try to offer some type of penance for their sin. When we continue to beat ourselves up and beat ourselves up over sin that's been forgiven, it's no different. God does not want your penance. He is pleased with faith in his word. There comes a time when you need to believe God's word and forget the things that lie behind. The other thing Paul said he did after he let go of the past was to look forward to the future, to look forward to what lies ahead. You know as well as I do that unless you forget, you will not and cannot move forward. You will remain rooted and trapped in the past in such a way that you just cannot move on. And I direct these words particularly at those who have a, a very sensitive conscience. Because that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing to have a sensitive conscience. Because when you've, when you've done wrong, your conscience alerts you to that. But the devil takes advantage of that. And he beats you over the head with the things from the past. The devil will attack you the most because he knows that it affects you the most. And please don't take this the wrong way. But let me suggest to you that you are dishonoring God when you fail to accept the blood of Jesus Christ for your sins. You are in effect saying, what you did, it just wasn't enough for me. And I assure you that the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, it was enough for you. It was enough for me. It was enough for everyone who would ever live. And when those sins are forgiven, they're gone once and for all. We can learn from the past, but we don't have to live there. If God forgives us, then we, by his grace, need to forgive ourselves and press on. Leave the past with God. Be assured that he will deal with us justly and graciously on judgment day. And again, I'll say we can do nothing about the past now, only about the present. The devil knows that if he can get you to focus on the past, you will never step in to what God has for you in the future. Let me say that again. 
The devil knows that if he can get you to focus on the past, you will never step into what he has for you in the future. But God knows our hearts. He knows what we deserve. And he knows what he has in store for us if we will just keep looking forward to what lies ahead. Leave it with him. Address the past. Deal with the past. And then you need to forget it because it's past. Sometimes I think we forget some of the things Paul did. Before he came to Christ, he was a, he was a Pharisee and, and all these good things, right? But he had killed a lot of Christians. Ones that he didn't kill, he had had them arrested and, and then had them killed. I'm not going to ask for a raising of hands. Anybody here killed any Christians? And yet we look at Paul and go, wow, if I could just be like Paul. Paul, who stood when they stoned Stephen, he held the coats of the men who were stoning Stephen and watched it happen. But in spite of that, he knew that he had to put that behind him if he was to ever go forward. What would we have today as far as epistles? Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. At some point, if when the Holy Spirit moved on him to write some of these letters that he wrote that we still have today, that we grow by, what would we have today that if Paul would have sat down and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, now, now start writing this. And Paul goes, I can't do this. I've done too much. I had people killed. Good people. I ruined families. I had people put in prison. I'm sorry, I, I can't do this. And if we are not careful, when God speaks to our hearts, we will do the same thing. And we can say, but God, I can't do this. And maybe never know what we could have accomplished through God working through us. Philippians 3, 17 through 21. Paul wrote, join together in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the past pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, 
will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul urged his readers to follow his example. And that applies to every one of us today. We need to follow his example of forgetting the past and moving forward. We will never know what God can do through us if we stop where we are. We will never know what God can do through us if we're continually focused on where we came from. We quote the scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do we? Do we believe that? It's true whether we believe it or not. Verse 18, Paul warned that there were those who had lived as enemies of the cross. They lived their lives any way they wanted to, even though many of them probably claimed to be Christians. Paul said that their destiny was destruction because their mind was on earthly things. He pointed out that genuine believers were to be heavenly-minded and were to recognize where their true citizenship was. Yes, we have to live in the world. That's where we are. But is that where our mind is? Or is our mind on our heavenly reward? So along with forgetting, we need to look forward. Looking forward to what lies ahead. When we realize whose we are, what God has done for us and where we are headed, we can put our eyes on the goal line. And we can look forward to the prize that lies before us. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let go of the things of the past that are hindering us from going forward in our walk with God. Stop looking in the rearview mirror because the only thing we see there is the past. The only thing we see there is what is behind us. The only thing we see there is where we used to be and who we used to be. And in order to go forward and to accomplish what God is calling us to do, we have to put the past right where it belongs, in the past. And if we will do that, I assure you by the Word of God that when we are focused on Jesus, really focused on Him, we will go forward and we will have no choice but to run well that race that is set before us. feel this morning that there are folks listening, whether you're here today or watching online, 
who have endured some terrible things in life, gone through some hard times. Those things do not define you. If you are a child of God, that defines who you are. You don't have to live with those things torturing you. You can be delivered. If you would like to come this morning, we will pray with you. We'll pray for you. Someone will meet you up front. And we're just going to pray today that God will deliver you from those things. So that you can go from here today without that torment in your mind. So that you can go from here today and when you put your head down on the pillow at night, you know that all is well. Your sins are gone. He is our righteousness. Would you sing? As they sing, would you come this morning?